bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, thank you that uh, we have another splendid opportunity to worship you. I pray as we prepare our hearts to to receive the word of God through through preaching and through reading your holy scriptures, I pray that uh, you would create an atmosphere within us that would be ready to be transformed by your word. It's so easy and natural for us to resist you because it is natural for us to feel like we know what is best for us. So I pray tonight we would be humbled before you so that you could strengthen us to be peacemakers, kingdom builders, and world changers here on this earth that you've created. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point, I'd like to invite Haley to come forward and read tonight's scripture for us in Romans chapter 8. A reading from the New Testament letter of Romans 8, 33 through 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. This is the word of the Lord. So I I read a funny story, and I want to share it with you to kick things off tonight as we talk about a fun topic of condemnation. (laughs) Thank you. Melvin walks out into the street and manages to get a taxi that's just going by. He gets into the taxi and the cabbie says, Perfect timing. You are just like Dave. Who? He says. Dave Anderson. Now there's a guy who did everything right. Like coming along right when you needed a cab. That's exactly what Dave would have done. Well, there are always a few clouds over everybody, says Melvin. Not Dave. He was a terrific athlete. He could have gone pro on the tennis tour. He could have golfed with the pros as well. He sang like an opera baritone and danced like a Broadway star. He was something, huh? He had a memory like a trap. Could remember everybody's birthday. He knew all about wine, which fork to eat with. He could fix anything. Not like me. I change a fuse, and I black out the entire neighborhood. Well, no wonder you remember him. Was, was he a good friend of yours? Well, I, I never actually met Dave. Oh, well, how do you know so much about him? Asked Melvin. And he replied, because I married his widow. <laughs> no, I think that's really funny. Now, if you go back and read it again, it's funnier now that you know. So, but everything that he knew about this perfect guy, he knew from the guy's wife. And she was comparing him to Dave all the time. We do that a lot of times. We compare ourselves to other people. We have other people compare us to other people. And it's just a mess, and it can really drive you crazy. But more than just driving you crazy because you're wondering what people are thinking of you and how you're being compared to other people, 
we can fall into a couple of traps. The first one could be that we can start to judge and we can start to grade others and place value on them based upon our preferences. So we start to elevate people or knock them down in value based upon what we think. So this can lead us to feel superior to people because sometimes we feel better when we measure our lives against the lives of others. Whatever category we're choosing to judge on, it can lead to the trap of calling us to feel superior wrongly. The second trap is inferiority. We can judge and grade ourselves and place value on ourselves beneath what we're actually worth. So this cabbie had heard over and over about his wife's late husband and concluded that he wasn't the kind of man that Dave was. Feeling inferior or condemned causes us to feel like we don't measure up, that we're always lacking something. And that kind of thinking leads us to always feel condemned. Condemning thoughts can be things like this. I'm not as patient as I should be. You know, I'm not a sweet person. I should be. I know I should be, but I'm not. They're a better husband than I am. She's a better wife than I am. I'm not as good of a father or mother as they are. I should be a better friend. There's so much more I could have done. A condemning, condemning thought is also, I'm not good enough as a Christian for God to use me. I can't step out in faith in the ways that God has gifted me because somebody somewhere is going to see through the facade of who they think I am and they're going to see my failures. They're going to see what I struggle against when it comes to sin and they're going to attack me because of my weaknesses. You know, we can really be hard on ourselves and believe condemning thoughts and even think that they're directed from God Himself. But comparison which is what we're talking about here in the beginning, leads us to self-condemning thoughts, and it leaves us in a defeatist mindset. When we're always comparing ourselves, it's never going to work out for us. The solutions when we're comparing ourselves to other people lead us to do things that are self-focused and self-centered. For example, because of this comparison, I need to try harder. I need to do better. I need to take steps to improve and become a better person. So it leads to a cycle of feeling better due to temporary changes. Because there's a, sometimes a, a little bit of victory that we experience. I lost the weight. I did the push-ups. I did the whole workout without having to do the modified version. <laughs> I'm getting there, okay? So those changes may last for a season, but when they stop working, there comes the guilt. There comes the condemnation all over again. And so just in case you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I don't really feel condemned. I'm doing pretty good in life. Here's what God commands us to do in the Bible. He says, be joyful always. He says, count your trials as blessings. He says, love your enemies. That's the people that hate you. He says, put the needs of others before your own. I feel condemned when I read those. How do we claim victory over condemnation 
when we don't measure up not only to others, but especially when we don't measure up to the Word of God. There's two steps. Number one, admit it. I don't measure up. The second one is, add two words. However, God. This is what that looks like. Yes, I'm not as patient as I should be. However, God has given me the Holy Spirit to help me. And I will call on Him. Yes, I'm not as sweet as that person is. However, God loves me and has given me new life with new power. And I am growing in my mercy and grace toward others. Yes, I'm not as good looking and smart and funny as Pastor Daniel, but who is? (laughs) You see where this is going? So now that we've had a good laugh and an introduction, let's go to the scripture in Romans chapter 8 and let's see what it says about victory over condemnation. We're going to see a couple of things. We're going to see that we have victory over condemnation because God is the greatest judge and God alone has the power to condemn. And we'll start with number one. We have victory over condemnation because God is the greatest judge. If you've ever been to court, there's this special authority a judge has. When they enter the room and they sit on this high, exalted bench of authority, you sense and you feel, it's almost palpable, the presence and the authority that they have. You don't act the same way in court that you act at home. But God is the greatest judge. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, we read this. It says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So the word justifies there means acquits. God acquits us. He declares us as righteous. And He is this great powerful judge who has declared that over us. The first thing I want us to see about God being the greatest judge is that he is all-powerful. It's very easy for us to minimize and not really remember, even on a daily basis or a weekly or monthly, how great and majestic God is. One of my favorite passages that I wish I, or I should spend more time in, however, God loves me anyway. No? Okay. I should spend more time in his Isaiah chapter 6, and I want us to look at that, and we'll see the majesty of God. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling, not just around, but filling the temple. Seraphim, which are angels, stood above him, each having six wings. With two, the angels covered the face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, it's filled full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled. You ever been to the airport, been close to a plane as it's taken off? I remember a sporting event I went to, a football game. They flew over with these uh, fighter jets. And when they flew over, it shook. And it was so powerful. 
I can't imagine the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then Isaiah, who's a righteous man, said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was a very righteous man, holy man, a prophet. But in the presence of God, he was like a dead man. He saw quickly how unholy he was in comparison to God, how inferior he was in his presence. And it's this God, this powerful, majestic, holy God who says to you and to me, you are righteous. So when this God says you are free, you are forgiven, you are a child of God, then that is the truth. In our cynical online world, it's easy to dismiss anyone and everyone and reject their authority. But that won't be the case when we stand before God. One day we will see this God in all of His glory and all the reasons for resisting Him will be silenced. His mere presence commands submission. His judgment is final. There are no appeals. The first reason He is the greatest judge is because of His majesty, His holiness, and His sheer power. This is the judge who justifies. Going back to that word justifies again, it means God acquits us. He declares us righteous. But this holy, powerful judge is different than any other judge you will ever meet. This judge steps down from his throne and he enters into our broken world. He takes on our sentence that we deserve, our condemnation, and in return, gives us his perfection, his righteousness. This is why we always have a reason to praise the Lord. No matter what happens in your life, that is amazing that God would do that. God is the greatest judge of all time. So when we understand this, what does it matter if someone claims that you're a phony? What does it matter if someone says, you know what, you're a hypocrite? What does it matter if someone says, you're not able to change, I know who you are, I remember you when you were younger. What does it matter if someone accuses you of being naive or unintelligent because you have faith in God? And what does it matter if someone sees your failures and has intimate knowledge of your sin and reveals to the world that you struggle? If this is the judge who knows you and has acquitted you, what does it matter what they think? It only matters if your judgment, your peace, your value, your victory is coming from something other than God. If you are deflated and despondent because someone criticizes you, 
It's exposing an idol within you. That you're not fully living in the gospel. That you haven't embraced that God is on your side. It could be the fact that you're just trying to impress other people. It could be the fact that you're trying to prove yourself to your harshest critic, which is sometimes yourself. But this verse says, who is it that's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. This is good news. God is the greatest judge of all time. The second reason we have victory over condemnation is, first one is because he's the greatest judge of all time, and also is because God alone has the power to condemn. It is God alone who has the power to condemn. This is very critical to remember. Even though we know of people who abuse their authority on earth and condemn others to death, we know that people do that, that people use their authority to abuse and torture. But we also know that there is truly, ultimately, only one that we should fear. Jesus said this in the book of Luke. He said, but I'm going to show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Not just the one that can kill you, but the one who, after you're dead, has the authority over your soul. He's saying it is in God alone that has that power. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, which is the next verse for tonight, it reads this. It asks another question. If you look for the rest of this chapter, verses 31 through 39, there are a lot of questions and, uh, and answers for that. And this is the second question. It says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who, at the right, who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. So you can leave that up for a second. Condemn right there means to be cut off. It means to be damned forever, never to be freed again. It's eternal doom. You happy? It's bad. And he is asking, who is it that would come and do this to you? There is only one who has that power. And then he says, look at what the one who has all that power to condemn you, look at what he does. Remember in Isaiah, the vision of the Lord I read earlier? We didn't read the whole encounter. We we left off with Isaiah saying, I'm a dead man because I've seen the Lord. Well, here's what happened next. After he says, I'm dead, man, because I have seen the Holy Lord. Here's what happens next. Then one of the seraphim seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity, your sin, is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Your ugliness, your your sinfulness is gone and taken away. This great, powerful judge, this holy God, uses all of that power to bring forgiveness and life to Isaiah. See, God's heart is not to condemn. God's heart is to set free. 
This powerful God reveals himself again in verse 34. We'll see it again if you'll pop it back up on the screen. It says, uh, it says what Christ did for us. It says, so who is it that condemns? And then it, it gives a resume, if you will. Christ Jesus is he. He is the one who died for you. It is this God who laid down his life for you. He became condemnation for you. Not only that, rather, he was raised. And so this is quite important, <clears throat> especially as we head towards Easter. Because theoretically, anyone could die for you. But there had to be something more than just someone being good enough to die for you. There had to be a payment for your sin that was acceptable. And so the resurrection proves to us that the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted by the Father. We see that Jesus has power over death. And not only was he raised, but then he is at the right hand of God. Why is it the right hand instead of the left? The reason is because the right hand signifies power and privilege. It means that Jesus is now reigning with God. He is reigning over heaven and over earth, and he's going to be there forever. It will not end. And this right hand of God, Jesus, is actively interceding for us. What a great picture of God. See, Condemnation threatens us. There's Jesus right now who is interceding on your behalf, saying, you don't have to live condemned. Look at what I've done for you. Look how much I love you. I don't know what else I could do (laughs) to show you my love for you. I've done it all. He is our high priest. He's our advocate. That means that he is for us. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So condemnation is going to threaten you. If it's not doing it now, it will come at you at some point. And when it threatens, we're to turn to the judge and we're to see Jesus, powerful and exalted, declaring us righteous. We're to turn not only to the judge, but to the advocate who's here by our side like an attorney, a good attorney would be. And we would see Jesus loving us and speaking on our behalf and defending us, taking up for us. When we're condemned by others and they throw accusations at us, what do we do? Turn to Jesus. Admit that, yes, I have fallen short of the glory of God. However, God has given me life through Jesus. When you're condemned by yourself and you don't feel like you measure up, admit it. I don't measure up. I certainly could be better. However, God is not finished with me yet. Amen? But He will perfect the work that He is doing in me. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you have it all together. Being a Christian means that you admit, I, like Isaiah, am ruined. I'm a dead man. Woe to me. I feel really humbled tonight for one big reason. We sang a song in Spanish, and I couldn't do it. It actually humbled me, and, I, and it, then it blessed me as I started to do that. I was like, man, I know this has got to be exciting for those who have Spanish as their heart language, but it was hard for me. I couldn't do it. And so that reminded me, I can't do life either. I think I can sometimes because I've I've figured some things out. But the Christian life is admitting, I fall short. However, God lifts me up. And maybe you're here tonight and you are condemned by sin because you're walking in it unrepentant. Then tonight is the time to repent, which means confess I am ruined. 
And then turn from these things and trust in Christ as Lord and receive brand new life forever. You have victory in Christ over condemnation. You have victory over condemnation in Christ alone. No other name can save you because there is only one name that is above all names, and that is Jesus. And the good news is He did not come to condemn the world, but He came to save it. Right after the most popular, well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, there are two verses that I want to close with tonight. And this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not condemned or judged. He who does not believe in Jesus has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The bad news is the world is condemned without Jesus. We're condemned already. That's why it's imperative for us to focus on Jesus for our salvation, because once we come to faith in Christ, it's very easy to fall back into a trap of thinking that I don't need the gospel anymore. God saved me from hell. Now it's up to me to prove through good works and deeds that I'm a good person and that I love God. But that's, that's a false religion. You're still focusing on yourself, which is why communion we're going to do in a few minutes is so important. There is nothing self-serving about taking communion. There's everything that's humbling about it. Is you are coming every week and you're saying, if it were not for Jesus dying for me and being raised from the dead, I would be dying an eternal death. We can't do this on our own. However, God sent us Jesus. And now we are victorious. Condemnation loses Condemnation is condemned. He proved that His love for us exists because He took the death that we deserved on our behalf. We saw that He proved that His sacrifice was accepted by God through the resurrection. We see that He has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God in power forever. And we see right now that this powerful God is interceding for us. He's battling for you. He's interested in you. He's watching you, not from a way of, uh, or from a disposition of trying to wait for you to mess up so he can smack you with lightning, but so that he can give you power and life and joy, abundant. Yes, we fall dreadfully short of God's glory. Absolutely, 100%. However, God has raised us up as victorious children of God in Christ. So we are no longer ruined. This is why we tell others about Jesus. Why we invite them to church and connect groups and Easter egg hunts. This is why we do flower giveaways on Sunday afternoon to brighten people's lives, yes, and to also let them know there are people here that love you and care about you. This is why we will choose to refuse to come alone to events and start looking for opportunities 
to share this message of victory with everybody we know. And once we realize the value of the faith that we have in Jesus, it becomes seamless for us to allow His love to flow from us and be expressed to others in our words and our actions. So don't fall for the lies of the enemy. He wants you to think that you're powerless. He wants you to think that you don't have hope. He wants you to stop praying because you tried it and it didn't work. That's a lie. You are victorious children of God. In Christ, you have victory over condemnation. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In fact, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Can you say free? Free from the law of sin and death. You have victory over condemnation. Probably combination too, but I'm talking about condemnation. You have victory over it. So claim that victory in your life, knowing that you have been chosen by God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much that you are a judge who is powerful and mighty and holy and someone who, when we are fully in your presence, will command our awe, our submission. And thank you, God, as great and powerful as you are, that you choose to have the greatest love and the greatest mercy that we've ever known that you wield your power and your authority for our good, and you give us life in the face of death. You give us victory in the face of defeat. And Lord, I pray your victory over this church. I pray your victory over our lives, that we would be freed from the lies of sin, the lies of the enemy, the accusations that come from around us in the world that try to drag us down. Every time they come, may our hearts and our eyes and our focus turn to you, Jesus. And we see how great and good and powerful you are and how much you truly love us. When we start to condemn ourselves inwardly, Lord, I pray that you would rescue us because many times nobody else sees that. But Lord, it can really harm us and cause us to think things that are far from true. So Lord, I pray that you would rescue us from ourselves and remind us of your greatness and your gospel, and your good news that we have victory in Jesus. Amen.